Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome to another very special episode of Soul Talk. I trust you've been enjoying uh, the Soul Talk podcast. We've had some really special and amazing guests. You know, each podcast seems to to top itself and uh, today is no exception i seem to be saying that every in each podcast i'm i'm just profoundly excited about my guests and today uh i am jumping out of my seat folks uh when i was a young boy you know growing up in in london you know i was from ghana west africa and came to london when i was three uh i I read hundreds of books in, in the field of personal development and psychology and uh, self-help and one of the authors that as as a 12 13 year old kid uh, who really inspired me is a man I have on today's show he has been an inspiration to me going all the way back to when I was 12 13 years old uh, he wrote the best-selling book the psychology of winning I consider him a legend um, his audio programs have been sold in 14 languages. He's one of the most listened to voices uh, on personal and career success. The author of 16 nonfiction books, Seeds of Greatness Being the Best, The Winner's Edge, Empires of the Mind. Uh, his audio program, The Psychology of Winning, is the all-time, wait, the all-time best-selling program on self-mastery. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, I could go on and on. It's, for me, a real privilege uh, coming full circle to uh, to share this amazing man with you. Welcome to the Soul Talk podcast, Mr. Dennis Waitley. Welcome, Dennis. Well, thank you, Coot. It's great to be on Soul Talk with you. And uh, yeah, the reason I've sold so many audios is my voice puts people to sleep. And so <laughs> if you have trouble sleeping, then you want to keep one of my CDs by your bed and and my my children say all they have to do is listen to me and they go right to sleep. Uh, so. This is this is good to know. We know the secret. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we know the secret. You know, Dennis, I'm I'm curious. You know, uh, I grew up as a kid reading your books, and they really inspired me tremendously. And so, uh, for those that maybe don't know, I mean, if I have so many questions I want to ask you now that I have you live. And but for for those that may not know, you know, in my audience, in my tribe, your work and who you are. Uh, could you just share a little bit about how you got started doing the work you're doing and teaching inspiration and motivation and, and what, 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 what you could say spurred you on your quest? I mean, I know you, you've studied and counseled winners in every field from, you know, astronauts, Super Bowl champions, sales, government leaders, youth groups. Um, and so how, how did you begin on the path? How, how did you start in this field? as an author, as a speaker? Well, good. It's a very different beginning because I, I grew up in 
what most people did, I guess, a dysfunctional family uh, during World War II. So all I knew growing up was that we were at war. And when I graduated from high school, uh, we went into the Korean War. So I headed for the Naval Academy at Annapolis and then became a Navy carrier-based jet pilot. But before that, my father had left home when I was nine, and then he uh, went overseas. So I became the man of the family, and my mother was very bitter about him leaving, even though he was at war. And I think she never got over the fact that, uh, for some reason, his checks weren't coming in. And so, to make a long story short, I grew up in a very negative environment, and my way out was to ride my bicycle to my grandmother's house about 10 miles away here in San Diego. And she was the uh, sole developer, S-O-U-L developer of, of me <laughs> by, by giving me seeds of greatness. We planted a victory garden and she would tell me what you put in the soil comes up and all you need to do is nurture it. But the weeds come in without uh, an invitation. You don't need to water weeds. They just show up. And we went through this uh, planting of, of flowers and fruits and vegetables. And I ended up uh, could hardly wait to ride my bike every Saturday to mow her lawn because unlike at home where we were negative, my grandmother was positive. So I learned to reach out and seek any positive inputs I could get. So what happened is uh, when I became a naval jet pilot up carrier, I decided that I did not want to be a warrior uh, for a career. I didn't want to defend and destroy, but I would to save, you know, lives and save my family, save my country. But I decided to get out of the military and pursue a doctorate in human behavior. And I had studied prisoners of war. As a Navy pilot, I was able to work with the returning prisoners of war from Vietnam later. And I developed this idea of POW as not being prisoner of war, but being psychology of winning, which meant mm. that I look at life as a perception through the eye of the beholder. And that whatever you're looking at, if you have no experience with it, you have no reaction to it. But whatever you look at, if you have some experience, whether it's secondhand, somebody's told you something negative, somebody's told you something positive, life becomes a perception through the eye of the beholder. And it's not so much what happens to you in life that counts. It's how you take it and what you make of it. And I got lucky. I simply got lucky and that timing was uh, such that I was traveling and doing my little teeny talks to whoever would listen. and. Zig Ziglar and I and Wayne Dyer and Jim Rohn and mm. the, the early pioneers, we gave at least three to 500 talks before anyone would pay us. And I wow. remember we were getting $75, then 125 then 250 mm -hmm. We finally got to $500 for, for talk after five years. But so mm. in our business, we didn't write a best-selling book and then be able to speak. We had to speak and hone our ability to persuade an audience, and then later were given the opportunity uh, mm. to, to write a book. And I just happened to be doing that, and Earl Nightingale, who had the only audio album on personal development, 
heard one of my little single tapes in a church, and everyone was coughing, but it was a, one of my better talks. It was only 20 minutes long. And he said that he liked the honesty in, in what I was saying, and he thought that I had potential. And, it, mm. it, and from that moment on in 1978, I had the opportunity to have the second audio album of the spoken word on, on motivation, which was after his lead the field. And then, you know, SMI success motivation Institute, some of the others came along, but so my timing was good. And then Earl Nightingale discovered me as kind of an understudy. Then he retired and, and became ill. And so I, I got a shot. I got an opportunity for them to build their mailing list. So they looked at me Mm. as the loss, a lost leader. They figure they only had to pay me a dollar per $50 album. That was a good <laughs> deal. So they <laughs> they used American Express and, and uh, Daytimers, and they just mailed this brochure, and it happened to hit. And the next thing I knew, they sold uh, 2 million copies at $50 each, and I always wish wow. that I had a bigger royalty. But but I really didn't. I was so lucky to even been included that I, I never thought that the percentage that I got was other than fair. So I just happened to be a product of, uh, of direct marketing. But there's one last part of the story that's probably the most important. Mm-hmm. I wrote The Psychology of Winning while I was losing. So if you look at people like Tony Robbins and Stephen Covey and some of my contemporaries, they write about how they discovered and became successful. But I wrote about what I wasn't doing because I was unsuccessful. So I researched what I needed to do at the worst time in my life after a divorce and ending up with custody of my four little children and no job. Mm -hmm. So I... I'm looking at myself as a loser, so I wrote Psychology of Winning while I was losing. And, wow. <laughs> and, and so I'm glad I did because fortunately I learned something from it. I learned not to uh, look at failure as other than fertilizer. Uh, my grandmother had told me that, but I thought failure was a person, and then now I know it's an event. And it's temporary inconvenience, you know, and, and things like that. So that's basically the story is that mm. the audio album hit because Earl Nightingale decided to get behind it. And we needed winning mm. in America at that time. And then from then on, I got a chance to write books. Uh, so I backed into book writing from the audio field. Mm. Got it. Got it. It's beautiful. I mean, you mentioned, uh, Dennis, the word luck a few times, but I am also hearing that, you know, you you were out there uh, sharing your gifts. You talked about four or five years. You were out there speaking for $50, for $75. You know, you, you weren't just waiting. You were you were honing your craft. You were you were showing up and uh, adding value to people's lives. That that's that's a key thing. That I'm hearing. Well, that, well that's uh, what I advise in, young you people. I, I always ask them when they tell me what they want to become, I ask them mm. where they're doing that now. So, mm. in, in other words, uh, luck, of course, 
has been defined as the intersection of preparation and opportunity. And the opportunities are out there if you're prepared to to meet them and greet them when they show up. So there's no question that I gave, mm-hmm. I gave every Optimus, Rotary, Kiwanis, Lions Club, Women's Club every Saturday and, and two nights a week for at least five <laughs> years before before anything uh, took root. So there's no question there's an apprenticeship that you pay. And I think having been through the Naval Academy and been a Navy pilot, I did have some discipline not to give up and and to stick with it. And Mm. I would advise that to any young person would be, you know, chase your passion, not your pension. And to... (laughs) You know, if you really do get something that you love to do, you won't go to work every day. You'll go to uh, to seek, you'll go to learn, you'll go to help, you'll go to give, but you won't go to get a paycheck. You'll go to see yeah. what kind of value you can give. Amazing. You know, uh, Dennis, you, you mentioned that you wrote The Psychology of Winning when you were losing. That is, uh, that's, that's, that's. That just you know that that really flipped things inside out as I heard you say that. So I'm curious when you were losing, when you were maybe at rock bottom, the divorce, no job, yeah. now you have to take care of four kids. I mean, wh- what kept you, what kept you going when you felt like you were losing? I mean, because a lot of people I think have visions and dreams, and you know, sadly they give up. So what kept you going uh, well, in I, those I, I maybe tough moments? I, yeah, I had had fleeting successes. In other words, I had uh, I'd been a Navy pilot. Uh, I had an honorable discharge. I did well uh, in the Navy, and I had a series of, of pretty good jobs. Uh, I, I, I became uh, one of the first ones to ever sell a video recorder. They had just invented mm-hmm. the videotape recorder. I had some good jobs, but what had happened is I... I was assistant to the president of the Salk uh, Institute for Biological Studies. And so I was working for Dr. Jonas Salk, and I was explaining his scientific findings in an easy-to-understand way. But I went mm-hmm. to Florida to, uh, to kind of work that out, and I ended up selling his foundation, had a divorce, and found myself sitting in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the coldest winter while my children mutinied and wanted to head back to San Diego. So here I was, uh, 38 or 39 years old, divorced Mm -hmm. with four children, talking about this little concept called the psychology of winning while you're losing. And so Mm -hmm. I, I had a chink in my armor and I it's not something you can gloss over. So I, I had to step back from the canvas of my life and say, come on, Dennis, this, this is not like you. You're better than this. And stop, uh, stop rolling in your failure and get out and start planning it. And, and that's when I, I, every day during the winter, I would go up and write another partial chapter on the psychology of winning in the middle of the worst snowstorms with my children back in San Diego, all four of them, because my oldest daughters were becoming teenagers and they were taking care of the younger ones. So here Mm -hmm. I am as a father with custody of his children 
and they're not even with me because they don't want to be with me because I wasn't doing anything. So, so I I took this opportunity to write. I was working at a hospital in Pittsburgh uh, in the psychological department, helping terminal cancer patients. And so, if that's not bad enough to be having your your own life kind of split apart to be working with last stage patients, I really had mm-hmm. to change change my attitude. So what I did is I wrote it for me so that I mm. would internalize the concepts. And I did a lot of research uh, and mm. I really read a lot and studied a lot and listened a lot. So there's no mm. question that maybe I don't have any original ideas they're probably uh, paraphrased from some of the, the the greatest minds around. You know, Dennis, when when you were doing your research, I mean, you studied obviously a lot of winners and the psychology of winning. Uh, you've been around a lot of people that have succeeded. You've had your own failures and your own wins. Um, what have you found, or what do you feel uh, stops most people from? fulfilling their potential, from living their dreams, from truly winning in life? Are there any themes, are there any patterns that you've seen uh, over the last 30, you know, 40 years uh, that, that stops, the, big, the biggest blocks that, that stops people from really uh, breaking through to that next level? Absolutely. Uh, Kooten, that's a great, it's a great question. I, I really believe that people give up because they don't feel that they deserve to be successful. So I think that they have this voice inside that is questioning them to the point where they don't feel worth the effort that it takes to follow through. In other words, if you're not worthy of the potential that you see for yourself, then you won't put in the education, the effort, and the persistence because a true winner believes in his or her dream when they have nothing more to hang on to. So I think mm-hmm. belief in your potential for fulfillment is the greatest, uh, shall we say, driving force, the internalization of non-material value being worth the effort that it will take. And I feel that many people give up on their dream when they're teenagers. They find themselves uh, not as good looking, not as smart, not as cute, not as uh, gifted, and they begin to believe that maybe they're reserved to be in the stands doing the wave rather than on or in the arena. And so I always ask people when they have this dream that they say, I always say to them, where are you doing this that you want to do now? And they say, well, I can't do it now. I have this job. And I thought mm-hmm. back to myself, and I thought that until I was able to get out of me and into giving value, learning value, seeking value, believing that I was as good as the best, but no better than the rest, that's something that I absolutely believe. Mm-hmm. I believe I'm as good as anyone but no better than anyone. And I haven't met anyone that I feel is superior to other people, mm. except for the fact that their belief system, their faith, and, and their actions bear out uh, their thinking. Um, and so that they, they actually manifest in their actions 
when the mind talks, the body listens and acts accordingly. So I, I think, and I think people talk themselves out of success yeah. into mediocrity or out of success into what they think is security. But mm. security is a trap because the only security is within. And, right. and therefore, you can't depend on other people for your security because they are, are looking forward to theirs. So I think mm. I found that the belief system will always be the determining factor. In other words, mm. I believe I can. I think I can. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to believe in my dreams. I'm going to imagine a better future. My self-talk or psycholinguistics, and now it's been proven all, the soul talk that you do, and the soul mm. talk that I grew up on, has been now proven by neuroscience in the fact that the brain is so much more pliable than we thought it was and, and elastic that you can actually mm. re rewire it. And so the thoughts are traffic, traffic on, mm. on the highway. And the traffic on the highway are the thoughts, images, and words that we read, say, and listen to on a daily basis. And that becomes either a freeway or a dead end or a cul-de-sac mm. or an overpass. And so I'm learning mm. to really control the thoughts that I think, which lead me to my actions. And uh, mm. right right now, I'm still traveling all over the world, Kud. It's really interesting. Uh, naturally, most of my work is throughout Asia and mostly China because they revere old people. So <laughs> they, they still think old people are wise. In fact, I was quoting Confucius in China a couple of months ago, and some young teenager ran up and said, Wow, you went to school with Confucius? And I said, no, actually, he's 1,800 years old. I'm only 800 years old. I said, I, I, was, I was just quoting his work. And then people also say, wow, you're a lot older than your voice. And I said, yes, I've been going to voice fitness training so that my voice won't wither away like the rest of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> Got it. You know, you mentioned, a, a, I think, a really important point about how people often you know, give up because they don't feel they deserve success. And I think many people, you know, books have been written. We know the keys to success, what we need to do. We have information, but I, th I think it's so true that if we don't feel worthy inside, you know, that internal security value, um, it, it has a huge impact. And so I'm just wondering, especially for those listening in, Dennis, who they might be listening to this and feel like, yes, I, I, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel inherently like I'm worth it. I know I should be. I want to be. Uh, I know the affirmations to tell myself, but I don't feel worthy. What, what, I, I'm curious, based on, 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 on what you've done in your life, what you've taught people, how can someone access that worth and feel it? How can they connect to that worth inside? Well, I think the first thing to do is to step back uh, and look inside the mirror. In other words, each of us is endowed with five to seven amazing natural talents. So every human being has five to seven amazing talents, which you really need to discover. And one way to do that is, of course, go back and think about your childhood when you were 
between 5 and 15 years old, you began to express some kind of, of ability in something. And so you dust off your childhood. You think about what you love to do after work or after school when you're not earning money. If you didn't need any money, what would you do with your days? And you begin to find these little kernels of gemstones that have not been cut and polished yet. You look at your personality. You, you, mm. you look at your bag. That's the first thing I ask them to do. Take your bag, which is full of everything you are and everything you've done. B is for blessings. Uh, can you see? Can you walk? Can you run? Uh, can you hear? Uh, do, do you have the, the faculties so that your blessings, where you were born, the country you live in, uh, the, the friends that you have, of children or grandchildren, those are your blessings. We take those for granted. And then each of us has an A in the bag, which is uh, little accomplishments, little achievements. And I think we need to not wait for somebody to give us a bonus or an accolade or go on television or write a book. We need to take our blessings, our achievements. And then the most important thing is what are your goals? What would you like to do if, if time was permitting, circumstances allowed, and money was not the object, what would you do? And I guarantee every person listening to this, if you took your bag, your blessings, achievements, and goals to a party, and all the celebrities that you've ever wanted to meet took their bag, and you poured <laughs> out your blessings, achievements, and goals on the floor, I guarantee you that you'd put yours back in your bag, put it over your shoulder, and run home with your <laughs> bag rather than exchanging it with anybody else's bag because you have mm -hmm. no idea what the so-called celebrities or fame and fortune people are really thinking and really going through. So I think that's one good thing is to dust that off. And, and also, you know, what I've learned to do is get out of me and get into giving value. If I know I've got some value to offer and I give that mm -hmm. freely without even a payment, I can't keep it because I, first, first place, when I give value, I don't lose it. But when I give it away, I help somebody else. So I, I run to the Children's uh, Leukemia Award when I'm feeling just a little down and just a little depressed. I go to the burn ward, I go to a veteran's hospital, I go to an Alzheimer's hospital, and I get mm. myself helping people whose challenges are so much greater than mine that I don't think about myself anymore. All I think mm. about is the value and service that I'm providing. And to me, that's the secret. And it's a secret to, mm. to legendary customer service. Always give more in value than you accept. Mm expect to receive in payment and the customers will be the path to your door. So I help everyone I can. I treat everyone as if they were I, a taxi driver, an Uber driver is a transportation executive, a waitress hmm. is a food service executive, and everyone I meet deserves eye contact uh, hmm. to be listened to unconditionally, to not be looked down upon because of how they look. And of course, I look at diversity differently. Diversity mm -hmm. to me is not what I see with my eyes. Diversity to me is what they've done, where they come from, what their life has been like. 
So I try to draw mm. out of everyone the diversity of their experience, which, it, which mm. I relish because I learn something from everyone I meet, and therefore I don't use my eyes to make any judgments about other people. I use the experiences that I can draw out of them. Mm. Mm. I love it. I love it. Taking uh, copious notes, Dennis, folks, if you're listening to this conversation, I'm with uh, a man who is a legend, Mr. Dennis Waitley, author of Psychology of Winning. If you don't know of him, make sure you check him out. We'll put his website in the show notes. Uh, Dennis, this is a beautiful conversation. I really love how you're talking about getting out of me and giving value and being of service. For me, uh, that's been a, a key to my success. And so I'm curious, you know, you've lived a full life. And at this stage of your life, with everything you've learned, what does, when I say success to you, what does success mean? Because I think so often in our culture, uh, success means money and status and power. Uh, what does success mean to you? Uh, success to me is an ongoing process of learning as much, loving as much, giving as much for as long as I possibly can. And in a nutshell, I have to take from my grandmother, I'm in the shade tree planting business. So what I like to do, success for me is planting shade trees for future generations mm. under which I myself mm. may never sit. So success mm. to me is uh, living each day as if it was my last and learning something new as if I'm going to live forever. So I'm mm. uh, success to me is being totally curious about how I can help another life just be a little more uh, full of oxygen and full of growth, whether it's an animal or, or a person. Uh, I look at nature the same way as I look at people. If I can help any living thing reach its full potential, that's what I feel life is all about. So I'm just, uh, success to me is having that uh, state of mind all the time and uh, mm. never resting on laurels. And I, it's really funny for me. People always ask me, okay, can you please send some photos? And I said, no, I don't have any of me. And they said, mm. why, why not? And I said, because I never take a camera where I go, and I've never taken a selfie because my, wow. eyes, my eyes are my camera. And, I, and now, now here's my take on selfies. I know everyone mm. wants a record of an amazing mm. experience and, the, and, and a photo on your website or uh, on your Facebook will give you that recollection. But for me, I don't need to be in the picture. I want the picture to be what I see through my eyes. So when I, I go to Africa every year and take all my children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren on safari, mm -hmm. they take the camera, they do the selfies, and my eyes are a tele, telephoto lens that's taking in the big picture out on the Maasai Mara. And that's the, way, that's the way I like to look at life. In other words, it's not about me. And it's never been about me. It's never been about mm. accumulation or 
what what and that's a trap the trap of showing other people how far you've come mm. i believe in scoring as many points as you can as long as what you're doing is playing in a team to help other people be successful but for me uh, money is only a library card or fuel for the tank uh it it's it's it does no more than give you the opportunity to see more of nature and more of diverse culture but it doesn't mm. prove to anyone your superiority in fact you cannot buy another minute no matter how <laughs> much money you have mm. Mm. absolutely you know i think uh you're hitting some key points i think so so much of our culture and you know with the advancement of technology has become you could say selfie focused or you know uh, self focused and i think everything you're saying about truly living from the heart and adding value and uh making a difference in people's lives being of service is is definitely a key to success and i'm curious to, uh, trying to be out there with other people as well you know i I don't want us to become moist robots. And a moist robot is a feely, touchy human being that is into too much virtual reality and and mm. isn't isn't intimately interfacing with other people one on one, face to face, and having discussions. And and that could be a problem with some of the loneliness and separateness that many people feel. But I know you're about to ask mm. a question, and I know. Our time is almost up, so I want to. I, I prefer to give. Yeah, I prefer I, I, to give you shorter, uh, shorter venue. No, I love Dennis. I, I love these. I lo just keep on. I mean, I just so much richness and value, and wealth of experience that you have that I'm, I'm loving, and I'm sure everyone listening in is just loving what you're sharing. I mean, I'm soaking in. I know the listeners are soaking, soaking in. So keep well, on, my, Dennis. My role, uh, my role model, Coot, is my. Cousin Jack in Chesterfield, Derbyshire, England. He he turned 106 on April the 5th, and he has a shock of beautiful hair. His eyes are good. <laughs> he can hear. He's got three or four Guinness Book of Records. Oldest man to have a tattoo at, at 105. <clears throat> Oldest man to ride the biggest roller coaster. Oldest man to do the zip. Uh, the, what do you call it? The, the zip. Zipline, yeah, oh my and so he, and I asked him, Jack, you're going to be 107 in 2019. He says that's right. He said, I can hardly wait. He said, I'm going to do an Alzheimer's <laughs> benefit. He said, on my birthday, I get to do an Alzheimer's benefit and help people who who've lost their memory. He said, it's a good thing I got mine because I'll be able to remember my birthday when it comes. <laughs> and what I found out about him. He surrounds himself with loved ones. He's out of him mm. and into his loved ones, and he's also into helping people, and he never thinks about himself, only about mm. what he can do for others. And, you know, that way you don't have many problems. You know, if you're not, mm. not self-involved to the point where you look at every blemish and look at every problem you have and begin to, you know, I feel so fortunate. and. And I'd like to live as long as Jack, uh, but my mother lived to be 97, so I'm I'm shooting for just around 100. And uh, wow. I'm, only, I'm only 85 now, so and I have dyslexia, which means I'm 58. 
So <laughs> your midlife, Dennis. Yeah, mid-life. so yeah, so I'm a, I'm a 58 year old, 85 year old who hangs around younger people, and they rub off on me, and and wow. that's the way it, it is. I'm just going to live as long as I can and and stay out there. I'm never going to retire because that word in itself means mm. uh, tired again or tired for the last time or no longer relevant or going to bed. So retire what? at best is something where you're not involved anymore. I'm, I'm keep hearing this theme, Dennis, that you, you keep sharing about how, you know, whether it's your cousin who's, a, you said, 107 years old, how he's not simply living for himself. He never thinks about himself. And so I really get how uh, so often the self-focus creates so much suffering. I'm curious, uh, based on your life experience, what, what are some of the most, let's say, uh, powerful questions that you've learned to ask yourself or that you have asked yourself throughout your life that you think uh, the listeners could uh, implement? Is there a question that you ask yourself regularly that uh, yes. opens you up, that keeps you yeah. focused? How would I like to be married to me? How would Mm. I like? How would I like a father like me? How would I like uh, a son like me? How would I like a best friend like me? How would I like a boss like me? How would I like an employee like me? How would I like me if I were them and they were counting on me? Wow. Wow. So how would I like, how would I like it to be married to me? How would I like a father like me, a best friend like me, a boss like me, an employee like me? And a friend, a best uh, friend. And and a best friend like me. Those those are some uh, powerful questions. Yeah, I ask my, and I also during the day I say, is this the best use of my time uh, to help somebody uh, with their life? Is what I'm doing goal achieving or tension relieving in other words am i am i surfing the net am i uh staring into the screen am i trying to get away from am i unhooking what am i doing with this moment do i really smell mm. the roses am i really living mm. in the now or am i counting on memories to keep me going and am i counting on goals or am i living in the only moment of time over which I have any control now in its history. So the one thing I do every day, all the time, is I think it, I do it. I think it, mm. I do it. So instead of writing a list of things to do, I try to do as much as I can when I think of something that I could be doing that's that's beautiful in this moment. And I think, Coop, when... When you get to be 85 and if you still love life and you act young, I only love beautiful music, beautiful scenery, uh, beautiful fragrances, beautiful sounds, uh, laughing people. And of course, I'm full of compassion and I'm not Pollyanna. And I, I, I cry and, and I, I have these feelings that are very deep. Uh, some are patriotic. Some are for the downtrodden, but the one thing I really have learned to do is get in the moment and not let this moment mm. pass again, because I don't want to live on mm. some day aisle. Mm. 
I love it. I love it. You have a couple more questions, Dennis, before we wrap up. Um, based on everything you've seen in your life and where you're at now, so, you know, you've seen many changes. You've seen presidents come and go. You've seen different climate, the climate change and technological uh, evolution throughout your lifetime at 85. Uh, it's eight, almost going on nine decades. And so yeah. what, I guess, what are you most excited about? When you look at the world today and where we're going, going, what, what, what excites you the most and where do you see the, the greatest opportunities for us as a humanity? Well, the, what excites me the most is the ability to communicate without boundaries, which will eventually create inclusion instead of exclusion. And it will make us much more aware of cultural differences that are that, that aren't foreign, that, that are just different. And we'll we'll start mm-hmm. to include and embrace people that otherwise we're suspicious of because of our either the way they look or our nationalistic uh, pride. So I think technology's ability to create instant communication in every language. So we'll be able mm-hmm. to talk to each other face-to-face, even if it's a video screen or a form of Skype, but we'll be able to speak in our language and they'll be able to hear in theirs. And I think that will overcome a lot of prejudicial barriers. And I'm very much excited about that, Uh, probably as much Mm. as anything, while at the same time, I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned Mm. about technology being the enemy of intimacy in a certain way. And and the other thing I'm concerned about, Coot, the last thing is that no society has ever survived its own success for longer than, you know, 500 to 1,000 years. And what happens mm-hmm. is people get to the top and then they start indulging themselves in, in yes. shall we say, more visceral or more material things, and they forget what it took, the effort and mm. the to get there. So it seems like we still haven't learned from history that uh, if you rest on your laurels, you eventually become history yourself. Mm. Mm. I love it. We have to uh, stay hungry. And I think many times we do get comfortable with the trap of success. Well, I asked the Africans, I said, can you define motivation for me? And these African families out out in the middle of Africa said, hmm, when the belly's empty, you start to think. And I said, you bet. You bet you do. Mm. When you are hungry, mm. you, you are motivated. And if you're hungry for yes. knowledge and hungry for beauty and hungry for, uh, you know, for helping other people, that hunger, it really will keep you alive. Mm. I love it. Folks, if you're listening to this conversation with... Uh the man himself, Dennis Waitley, ask yourself, where, where have I become comfortable in my life? Just take a look at that question. Where have I become comfortable? Um, Dennis, I, Dennis, before I ask my, my final question, I think since I have you on, I, I have to ask this question. You know, you're, you're a, a leader in the field of personal development and self-development, self-help. Um, You've had a long career. You're still going strong. I think there's many folks listening in today that uh, are either in this field, you know, as newbies. They, they've been in it for a while. 
uh, or some that maybe they're aspiring to, to, to write books and uh, teach and give seminars as whether it's speakers, uh, leaders, healers, coaches. Uh, I'm curious, what advice, based on everything you've learned as a author and speaker, what advice would you give someone who wants to go into the field of personal development? What's the most important thing you could uh, share with them based on, on, on what you've learned uh, as a success in this field? Another great question. I would say that uh, make a decision very early as to whether you're going to be a platform salesman or whether you're going to be mm. whether you're going to be a true teacher. Uh, our speaking industry mm. has turned into people giving a commercial for what they're selling mm. in the back of the room, whether it's a uh, you know whether it's a internet business or whether it's a book publishing or whether it's a uh, a chance to go to go to my workshop or seminar and i think people have have believed that they need to be selling something because the fees the fees that are being paid are not like they used to be uh, the fees mm-hmm. are more vertical for expertise in a certain field but there's no such thing as a straight motivational or dynamic speaker there there are only celebrities who put people in the arenas sports figures mm-hmm. celebrities or politicians or best selling authors so what i would do is I would uh, I would take what my passion is, what I love, and and what I want to share, and I would say what do people want and need to hear or read, and I would keep the reader and the listener in mind, and I would I would speak everywhere I could as often as I could, and I would record everything that I uh, that I said. I would I would have mm. a, a little digital recorder. I would record every talk that I gave, and then I would listen to that. And when people laugh and when people clap and when people mm. seem to emote, I would save those things, and I would not tell contrived stories. I would, I would tell my own stories and, and give my own personality. I, I would create my own brand rather than try to copy someone else's. Yes. I, would not, yes. I would not be the next Tony Robbins or I would not be the next Jim Rohn or Zig Ziglar. I would be the next me, uh, you know, mm. the, the individual thing. And I think the important thing is to, is to truly want to help change the life of the one person you're looking at at a time in the audience. And as mm. you look at them and they look at you, they identify with you and they say, wow. Uh, I'm really glad I talked to him or her today, and you and you mm. should say, I'll make them glad they read me, or I'll make them glad they talked to me. And so I think that the best advice I can give is just go out and paint. A, a book is not a masterpiece, and a speech mm. is not Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. A speech is a speech. It's a talk that you learn, a talk that you develop. And there are good days and there are bad days, but record them, and pretty soon you'll your best stuff will become like brushing your teeth or driving your car. Mm. But mm. but but never never ever stop doing it because the UPS driver I talked to the other day said I want to be a rock star, and I said great. <laughs> Where are you singing? And he said Oh, I'm not <laughs> doing that now. I'm driving the UPS truck. I said No, you don't understand. 
You need mm. to be singing and playing your guitar somewhere mm. now. Mm. I love it. I love it. Basically, folks, you heard it from the man himself. Authenticity is key. Be yourself and truly you know, show up in service. I think uh, you're speaking my language, Dennis, because I think so often uh, a, a lot of folks in the personal growth field, at least I've seen, you know, are selling. And uh, well, they, No, they are. <laughs> and all over the world, uh, Coot, and that's why they bring me on on Saturday night after everyone spent all their money. They bring me mm. on as a living legend, and people stay there to, to see if they're going to hear something educational and life-changing, and I don't have anything that I'm selling at the end of the talk, and they can't believe mm. it. They said, why are you here? And I said, I'm here because I love to help people. It's oh, amazing. I mean, that, that is the real reason I think we should, if you're thinking about going into this field of speaking, teaching, ultimately, we are here to serve, to serve another soul. And I think Dennis is uh, speaking right to the heart of, of, of the matter. Dennis, my final question. You shared so many uh, amazing insights based on your life, based on real experience. If there were, you know, and some of these might overlap, but I'm curious if you think back to when you were 18, when you were 21, if there were, and if you think about your grandchildren and your kids, if there were three key life lessons that you would want to pass on to the next generation based on your mistakes, your successes, uh, and you can only pass on these three keys that would evolve the next generation, the consciousness of the next generation the most, and you were to distill it into three keys. I know it might be a little tough, but I'm curious what the three keys you'd pass on to the next generation would be. I, well, I think three the first one would be that internal motivation. Motivation is an inner force that compels behavior. So rather than a travel poster or a Mercedes or a house on the hill, that within mm. which drives you, find your core passion. Then chase your passion, not your pension. Don't let money be your driving force. Let money simply be a transportation vehicle for you. And the third thing will be uh, the values you leave in your children are much more priceless than the valuables you will leave them in your estate. So mm. internal value is everything. Material possessions are sold at 10 cents on the dollar at a flea market or, or at an estate sale. Understand mm. that, that your children will never thank you for the money you spent on them, but the precious time you spent together will mean everything. Being there in mm. person for someone you love is the greatest gift of all. Mm. Amazing. Folks, you heard Dennis Waitley's three keys, the three key life lessons. Write them down, live them, powerful, insightful. Dennis, I really uh, want to thank you for being on today. I mean, you've, you've inspired me throughout my life more than you, you've known. You've inspired me today, and I'm sure everyone listening in has been deeply inspired. I, I, my, my vision is from Soul Talk that people really put into practice 
uh, everything they're learning in these interviews. Uh, is there a, if you were to assign a homework assignment, is there a simple but practical and, and immediately applicable homework assignment that you could assign those listening in? I think the, the homework assignment I'd give them would be uh, step away from your life, go for a walk, and ask yourself the question, what do I absolutely love to do most in this world? Mm. After work, on weekends, and if I didn't need any money, what would I do with this day? Mm. Mm. Powerful. Folks, that question goes straight to the heart. What do I absolutely love to do most in this world? And if it wasn't about money, what would I be doing? What would I do? What would I express? What would I give? And I believe each and every one of us, we have a gift to give. And uh, the world is waiting for your gift. I think about if Mandela or Dennis Waitley or you know Martin Luther King didn't give their gift, imagine what a different world this would be. Dennis, this has been, uh, again, a really inspiring conversation. Um, what's the best way that people can find out about you and, and your work uh, and what you're up to? What's, what's the best website or the best way people can do that? Probably just visit uh, my newer website, and and my name only has one N. My mother decided to name me D E N I S rather than two N, so it's just uh, D E N I S W A I T L E Y dot com, and just just go take a look at the library. And I'm not I'm not pushing anything, so uh, people can can just mm-hmm. go and sign up. There's free stuff on there too. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dennis. Folks, you've been listening to uh, another amazing episode with uh, an amazing human being, Mr. Dennis Waitley, author of The Psychology of Winning, Seeds of Greatness, The Winner's Edge, and many more amazing books. I want to encourage you all to uh, do yourselves a favor. Uh, you'll be blessed by checking out his work, DennisWaitley.com. We'll be posting uh, the relevant links to his website so you can find out more about him uh, along with this show. I trust you've been inspired by his heart, his sharing, his gifts, his wisdom, his authenticity. Uh, shoot me an email at CootBlackson at CootBlackson.com. Let me know your three main takeaways from this conversation. This has been uh, really inspiring really inspiring today. Dennis, thank you. I'm going to give you a gold star. Uh, this is one of the best interviews, the most soulful and authentic interview that I've had in a long time. And therefore, soul talk means a lot to me. And I'm going to check you out and and follow you more closely. Well, thank you, Dennis. You've, uh, you know, sincerely, you've, when I first read your book, when I was 12, 13 years old, uh, you've been a another mentor of mine without knowing you're a mentor of mine. So thank you, you know, from my heart for, for sharing your gift. And, you know, this is the first time we've kind of connected in person, so to speak. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you, when you meet someone in person, they're not always, uh, or, or, you know, connect with them. They're not always what they seem to be. And, uh, you have definitely surpassed my expectations and continue to inspire me. So may you continue to be blessed. I know you're 85 years young or 58. Yeah, that's uh, but, right. Uh, I, I, I feel like the world uh, still has so much to be blessed by you and your work. So thank you, folks. 
Here goes another amazing episode of Soul Talk. Please do share this episode with your friends, with your family. Download Soul, Soul Talk and be inspired. The world is waiting for you. I'll catch you on the next episode. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at cooplaxon.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.